0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 10 of Cannabis Corner. Thanks for tuning in. If you're watching this on YouTube, I've actually started posting these episodes on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. So if you prefer to listen to them as audio-only episodes, you can do that as well. Just search Matt Talks Hemp. Don't search Cannabis Corner because you will find a radio show out of Connecticut. And so I'm actually going to change the name of this show. I don't have a new name for it yet, but You can just search Matt Talks Hemp and you'll be able to find the episodes on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And for this episode, there's a decent amount of follow-up from some prior topics that I've talked about in the past with various different updates that I'd like to share with you all and a handful of new topics as well. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. For the first segment on today's episode, we're following up on what was possibly the biggest topic from last week. In that the first 100 to 200 licenses for adult use cannabis sales are going to be reserved for individuals with past nonviolent cannabis related convictions or the family members of those individuals who were impacted. And so since last week's episode, the Cannabis Board in New York voted on this and it was a unanimous approval, which is great to see. I'm not sure when the licensing process for this is going to start, but people in New York have said that adult use sales could possibly start before the end of the year in 2022. We're already almost through March, so I'm sure this licensing process is going to start soon. And one thing that I want to talk about on this same topic is I was at NECAN in Boston the past two days, a cannabis convention, and I spoke with a couple different groups who are focusing their work on racial equity in the cannabis space. And I spoke with them about specifically what's going on in New York. And what they made clear is that social equity is not always necessarily racial equity as well, which is something I had never really thought about. It's clear that Black and Hispanic communities were disproportionately impacted by the war on cannabis. So it only makes sense that as we set up guidelines in these states coming online, social equity is great. Providing access to legacy operators who had past convictions is all great, but it's important that there's also... Aspects of these new rules that make room specifically for racial equity as well. So, just something to keep in mind. For the second segment today, we're sticking on the topic of New York. And the headline of this article is New York lawmakers seek tax deductions for cannabis businesses in budget proposals despite federal ban. So, New York has their budget proposals deadline. On April 1st, and they are talking about essentially eliminating 280E when it comes to these cannabis businesses filing their state tax returns. So, 280E is an IRS code that essentially prohibits businesses that are selling controlled substances from deducting normal business expenses from their income. And this was created before cannabis was legalized, and it was meant for literally people who are selling drugs illegally. All cannabis businesses who are licensed in their state are obviously following the law in their individual state, but the federal government still has cannabis as a Schedule 1 substance. So IRS code 280E is applicable to any cannabis business operating in any state across the country. So while New York state cannot do anything when it comes to these cannabis businesses filing their federal taxes and the impact of 280E, but they can remove it for the state taxes... And allow these businesses to deduct expenses like their payroll or their inventory marketing and advertising currently in every other state no cannabis business is allowed to deduct any of those expenses on their federal or state tax returns so what this is going to do is any business that's operating in new york is going to be more profitable than if they were operating in any other state this isn't finalized i'm assuming it will based on everything else that new york is doing but just another way that New York is really rewriting the playbook on how to legalize cannabis in your state. And obviously, the bigger problem here is that cannabis is still a Schedule 1 substance, which makes two e applicable to cannabis businesses in the first place. But that is a much bigger bridge to cross than individual states taking it into their own hands and making the industry more equitable in their specific state. Dropping in to quickly interrupt this episode and let you know that it's sponsored by Yesterday Hemp Apparel. I'm actually wearing their natural undyed jive tee right now with the printed design on the back. They make small batch hemp apparel here in the United States, local supply chain. If you're interested in purchasing some hemp apparel, it's wearyesterday.com. You can find the link in the description of this video. Use code CANNABISCORNER for 10% off your order. Now back to the news. Moving on to the third segment for today's episode, this is somewhat of a follow-up in a further development in a topic that I've discussed in the past. The headline of this article is, Federal Transportation Agency Proposes New Cannabis Testing Policies to Reduce False Positives. So the story is about the DOT, the Department of Transportation, and how they are likely going to adopt saliva testing for cannabis drug testing, as opposed to the traditional urine tests. THC metabolites will stay present in your urine for weeks or months after cannabis consumption, which causes a lot of false positives, whereas it's my understanding with the saliva tests that it is a much smaller window. You could still test positive the next day uh, with a saliva test, but that window is not weeks or months like it is with urine tests. So the DOT must have been paying attention to that Wells Fargo analyst that came out a few weeks ago and said the trucker shortage in the United States, the number one reason for that is the current policy around cannabis drug testing. And it's good to see that they're taking that information and they're making some changes to alleviate the supply chain crisis that's uh, unfolding in the United States right now. For segment four, we have a Pennsylvania Senator, Judy Schwenk, announcing a hemp feed bill. And this is another follow-up on a topic that I've discussed in the past. Hemp seed, in the eyes of the FDA, is what's called grass certified. It's generally regarded as safe for human consumption. But when it comes to feeding hemp seed to the animals that we then consume byproducts of, it is not grass certified. And the FDA is making it very difficult to get various different approvals for farmers to feed hemp seed to their animals, which doesn't make a lot of sense. It's generally regarded as safe for us to feed to ourselves, our children, but not to the animals that we're going to consume byproducts of. So kind of confusing if you ask me, but what Pennsylvania State Senator Judy Schwank is doing is that she's going to introduce this bill that's going to allow hemp and its byproducts to be used in commercial feed for meat, animals, horses, and pets. There's similar legislation that passed in Montana last year Approving hemp and substances derived from hemp to be used for commercial feed for pets, specialty pets, and horses in Montana, so long as they do not contain more than 0.3% THC. So, like hemp biomass could even be fed to animals in Montana. Seems like that's going to be a similar thing in Pennsylvania, but it looks like the bill that is going to be introduced in Pennsylvania is a little more wide ranging than the one that is currently active in Montana. And so, if the FDA is going to continue making it difficult for companies to get approval to feed their animals hemp seed it's going to be up to individual states to adopt legislation like this in order to help sustain the continued growth of the industrial hemp market in the united states for segment five we're sticking on the topic of hemp seed and we have this article with the headline hemp hulls yield phytonutrients targeting liver and metabolic health according to bright seed data And so a hemp hole is like the outside of the hemp seed. And so I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce these compounds, but the abbreviation is NCT and NFT. And this data from AI phytonutrient pioneers, Brightseed, are saying that they may support liver and metabolic health. And apparently this study builds on a study that came out last year, but the new study found that mice fed a high fat diet and also consuming doses of NCT gained less weight on that high-fat diet compared to non-supplemented lab animals also consuming a high-fat diet. And like I said, this builds on some research that was already out there. This was published in Nature and Cell Death and Disease, two very well-known journals. And apparently, human clinical trials are currently ongoing. So it'll be cool to see what the data on the human trials comes out as. And this might even be some research that makes the FDA a little more lenient to allowing hemp seed for the animals that we consume byproducts of my uneducated opinion on this is if this data scales in human trials and other animals it may be a resource for farmers to get more lean meat feed this to your cows have less fat on them then you get more lean meat i don't know i don't eat much meat but i think that's a a desirable trait in meat is it being lean. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. Uh, but regardless, cool to see uh, more research being done specifically on the hemp seed side of things. For segment six today, we have a headline that reads, Replant Hemp Advisors Opens $500 Million Sustainable Impact Fund for Investment. So this fund was started by Jeff Whaling, who's the chair of the National Hemp Association, and Michael Woods, who is an executive at Black Buffalo 3D Corporation, who I've talked about in the past as well. And they're launching this impact fund focused on bio-based innovation and decarbonizing the global economy. They tried to do something like this a couple years back by way of a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company. And they ran into some difficulties actually placing the funds with industrial hemp companies. And they ended up investing in the automotive tech company, I believe. I heard Jeff Whaling talk about the reason for that. And it seemed like Because it was set up as a SPAC, there were some requirements that made it difficult for them to actually place investment in multiple different small industrial hemp companies. And so they started this one and it's just an investment fund. It should be very simple for them to raise the money and then place it with many different companies. So the first close is going to be set at $75 million and they're aiming to place the whole $500 million in the industry by 2030. So I'll keep everyone updated on when this fund closes, who potentially invests in the fund, and then also what companies the fund invests in. Moving on to segment seven, this is definitely my favorite segment of today's episode. We have Washington State revising their state code to change the word marijuana to cannabis in all references to the plant. And so, Governor Inslee said the term marijuana has a racist history in the United States. It was used in anti-immigrant rhetoric in the early 20th century. We are tied to our history of language. The change signals that we acknowledge the history of that language that targeted communities of color. So, this is awesome. I want to see this happen in every single state. I want to see media outlets that use the term marijuana to switch to cannabis. Uh, government entities that are governing the cannabis industry in their state often use the term marijuana. Let's change those to cannabis as well. And I actually had the opportunity at NECAN this past weekend, Steve D'Angelo was the keynote speaker. And so I asked him what his opinion on the term marijuana is. And while he didn't completely denounce the term marijuana, he did say that it was a term used to mobilize systemic racism in the early 1900s. And the reason that he didn't completely denounce it was that he told a story about the history of the use of the term in Mexico and kind of how the term marijuana came about in Mexico. And that's okay. That's fine. Marijuana is a Mexican term. Its use in the United States has racist connotations, and it doesn't make any sense for us to use the term here. In the United States. In Mexico, if it's called marijuana, that's okay. But when we're in the United States, it's important, in my opinion, that we use the term cannabis instead and that we educate people on why we're using the term cannabis. So I love this from Governor Inslee in Washington. And I think this is going to start a domino effect and I could not be more excited. Moving on to segment eight, we have Mike Tyson launching bitten ear-shaped edibles called Mike's Bites almost 25 years after chomping Evander Holyfield's ear in a championship fight. So this is one of the most iconic moments in sports, I would say, is when Mike Tyson literally bit a piece of Evander Holyfield's ear off when they were in a clinch. And now his marketing team is leveraging that moment to sell some cannabis edibles. So Tyson 2.0 is a very rapidly growing cannabis brand. They're in almost 20 different states, I believe. And so I'll scroll down a bit and so you can see these are what the gummies are gonna look like. It literally is an ear with a little piece bitten out of it. Um, So this is hilarious. And unfortunately, while Tyson 2.0 is in Massachusetts, we're not gonna be able to get Mike's Bites because of some of the regulations around edibles in Massachusetts you're only allowed to have circles, squares, triangles, very basic geometric shapes in for edibles in Massachusetts. Any different designs or shapes like this, like an ear is not gonna fly uh, with the Cannabis Control Commission in Massachusetts. So unfortunately, I won't be able to try these anytime soon in mass, but uh, if you're in California, Nevada, I think Michigan, A lot of different states, most of them. If Tyson 2.0 is in your state, you will have access to Mike's Bites. I'm not sure how they're made. It might just be a distillate edible. I'm not sure if it's full spectrum. but uh, So keep an eye out for those if Tyson 2.0 is in your state. Segment nine, we're sticking on the topic of edibles here. And we have Musil Elementary Parent speaks out after daughter was given cannabis edibles. So this is in South Bend, Indiana. There was a nine-year-old girl in elementary school in the bathroom. Some other student gives her two little gummies. They're infused cannabis gummies. Kid eats them, having no idea what it is. Gets really high. Has to go to the hospital. Says she feels like she's sleepwalking. Has all these other uh, effects. This is just a story I wanted to highlight because I've been talking about um, children accidentally consuming cannabis edibles and the negative impacts that that can have on their development we don't even really know how it's impacting their development but it's a traumatic experience a majority of the time for these young children so again if you like the idea of mike's bites you're going to go buy some of those and you have kids at home or maybe you have some pets at home please make sure you're being very careful with where you put those Get a safe, I think, potentially is the best option. Or keep it somewhere where your kid is literally never, ever going to be able to get it. Um, It's important that we consume these products responsibly or else they'll end up just getting taken away, I'm sure. Like, if this keeps happening, states coming online just aren't going to allow edibles. Edibles are cool. I want to have access to edibles. So make sure you're safe with how you're storing yours. For the 10th and final segment of today's episode, we have a report stating that cannabis legalization has not increased youth consumption. So CPR, which is the Coalition for Cannabis Policy, Education, and Regulation, released a report that discusses how cannabis legalization has not led to increase in youth consumption. And I bring this up specifically to call out the governor of Nebraska, Pete Ricketts, who was quoted saying that if we legalize cannabis, it will kill our kids. He said that. That was a quote directly from him. So it's clear that legalizing cannabis is not increasing youth consumption. It's staying flat or decreasing in states that are legalizing cannabis. The only reason that it's not really decreasing is because the illicit market is still so prevalent in every single state across the country. So if regulated markets were rolled out on a wider scale, and regulated more efficiently to eliminate illicit sales, youth consumption of cannabis would go down. Kind of a no-brainer. But Pete Ricketts, the conservative guy that he is, I'm sure is not gonna change his stance based on this report. Least I can do is continue to call him out. I'm sorry if you live in Nebraska, but not a big fan of your governor. So that wraps up Cannabis Corner episode 10. And if you are watching this on YouTube, just want to reiterate that I'm uploading the audio-only files to Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. So if you prefer an audio-only experience while you're driving or anything like that, just search Matt Talks Hemp on those platforms and you'll be able to find the episodes there. Like I've said from the beginning, this is probably going to continue to evolve and develop as I keep making more episodes. And I'm very much open to feedback from the people that are consuming this content. So whether it's a DM, a comment, I will read everything. So please share what you think, what maybe your favorite part of the cannabis corner is each week or your least favorite aspect of the episodes, regardless of what it is. I want to hear it. And I look forward to engaging with the community who's listening to these episodes. And I appreciate you for being here. I'll see you next week.